This is Gaming and BS, sponsored by Grayed Out Dice Bags. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Grayed Out. Use Gaming and BS promo code and receive 10% off your order. This is Corey Wynn, supporter of the show you're about to hear. Prepare to have your ears blown off as you listen to Gaming and BS. <laughs> Welcome to Gaming and BS. This is episode 78, where we're going to be talking about starting the campaign. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Sean, we made it through a GaryCon. Oh, my God, we did. All right. <laughs> I think Sean had a couple rougher nights than I, but it was still a pretty damn good time all around. It was indeed, Brett. Good times had by all. So... Um, we can't, we can't go to a con like that together and not have at least some kind of a wrap up bit. So we'll do that. And I think today's topic will be pretty quick. Well, so let's see what we can, uh, let's see what we can do here. So we should, we should be careful about how, who we name by name. And the only reason I say that is because we will inevitably leave somebody out. Now, I don't want to leave any, anybody specifically out, you know, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So. Just the word of warning. I get it. One Caution. Name names. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> we didn't meet anybody over the weekend. <laughs> I met nobody. No. <laughs> nobody that was a turd. Correct. Right. They're everybody all, we met was really, really awesome. Really I do awesome. add. I did do a post up on Google Plus. You can see it. I'm not going to go into all the components there, but of the BSers that we ran into there, and that we had some good times. We had some time to talk to, like actual sit down conversation, or even just a you know quarter hour hallway conversation in between games or something. Everybody was super freaking cool. It was really, really nice. I mean, the bumper you just played uh, from Corey, yep. Corey Wynn, that was awesome. He was a really cool dude to, to get to meet him and hang out. Yes. So I hope everybody understands. We'd love to put everybody's name on, on tonight's show, but I'm afraid we'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, those bastards miss uh-huh, me. Those dickheads, right? So please understand. We love each and every one of you. Just like mom always said, you're, you're our favorite listener. Ex- you are, exactly, <laughs> indeed. So all things, though, even if you take a, just the BSers out, the other component, the people I ran into that were um, other podcasters, right? Um, Adam Muskevich from Drink, Spin, Run, yes. Chad Parrish from Dead Game Society, and other, and other fun things, the Mythwits guys. Um, a really great group of people. And that was cool. We did a little... Uh, a podcasting panel with those folks. We even had Satine Phoenix. Uh, she's from LA, big gamer, comic book artist, really super talented lady. I uh, got to hang out with her. <coughs> Excuse me. So it was just a lot of fun. And as usual in a smaller con like this, it's very game hole con from a field perspective, is that I was um, ran to like Joseph Goodman. Hey, man, I'm a fan of DCC. Oh, that's cool. What have you been playing? Well, you know, kind of going between different stuff. Oh, that's cool. Have you tried this adventure? Have you seen that? Um, the the guys in the uh, in the dealer hall were again always super friendly, very nice. Everything, uh, everybody we ran into, hell of a good time. No no turds, as Sean would say. No it was turds good all around. It was a no turd zone. <clears throat> so my con was essentially spur of the moment for moment for me. I did not pre reg for anything. I actually did not play or run. I spent my time hanging out with people, which was yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I've been just dying to push that button. Have you? <laughs> I like I like going to cons and treating them 
as an opportunity to hang out with people. That's fine. Cause I normally, I see my gamers and I see Sean and I want to hang out with somebody who really knows what they're doing sometimes. So it's, <laughs> Ooh, backhanded compliment. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's fun to talk to other folks that listen to us and have written in and so, and so on. And just to meet new people and get perspectives. So I spent my time tracking down folks, taking photos and just talking. So Sean, though, you played, what did you, what did you play? What do you remember? What do you remember playing? I and, played. Uh, do you have a favorite? I played and I played hard, Brett. That's the way you got to do it, man. If you're going to go, go all in. So I arrived on the lovely day of Thursday morning. And I had a 10 a.m. show and I drove down bef- right after my IHOP, my breakfast at IHOP. Because that's what I, excuse me, do. Good Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I had a 10 a.m. conference call for work because I was stuck in my truck for about an hour and a half. That well, was that deserves, the start of my gear. I deserve a sorry trombone. That's all right. Carry uh, on. Um, so Thursday at 10, I uh, played in Chad Parrish's The Tower of Glass. So for those of you that <clears throat> don't know, Chad, Chad Parrish is a household name. He is the host of the RPG uh, School Podcast. RPG School Podcast? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Dead Game Society Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was on Roll for Initiative podcast. Yes. He's part of the Dead Game Society. And so he ran that. It was first edition AD&D. We were, I think I was the highest level character playing in the game, which was a 14th level human cleric. And we took nice. on, we took on Jubilix. I, oh yeah. This is, I heard you did well against Jubilix, the faceless Lord. I, uh, I annihilated him. Single handed. Hey, I had the power of Cuthbert, my man. Hey, there you go. So that was good. Uh, and then I posted on Facebook, one of the guys was going around the table and one of the guys I went to high school was there. Like, I didn't know him then. I, I may have known him then, but it was just funny that he's like, yeah, I graduated. And he's like, he told me the class he graduated in. And I said, oh, me yeah, too. me too. Me too. <laughs> he did, looked at me That's like, awesome. I've never seen you before. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And uh, knows my cousin and a couple of the ladies I dated back then, Brett. Oh, so, uh, uh, okay. So anyways, um, that <laughs> was good. And then something snappy and I lost it there. Right. Okay, carry on. And then Friday the 4th, I had one game from noon to four that again was Chad and he ran code name Acrid Herald. Oh yes. The new espionage game by Merle Rasmussen. The top secret dude. Yeah, it was a play test. They didn't have me sign an NDA or anything or tell me like I couldn't talk about it. Um, I call, I uh, tracked him uh, down, I tracked down Merle and Chad, and I said, so you didn't make Sean sign an NDA. Can I talk about it? And they said, yeah, sure. Talk, man. Go ahead. So let's divulge so into everything. I will take everything. their unwritten information. I will take their unwritten drunken confirmation as total confirmation. Well, yeah. I'm kidding. Neither one was drunk. I'm teasing. I wouldn't have done that if they were drunk. They were stone sober. So we played that. It was me and two other players. One player didn't show up. Um, do we want to talk about that game or now or no? I think we can, well, in a minute. I saw the, okay. the it's a play test. It's a new espionage game. Will Rasmussen's name's on it. He's been helping the guys do a lot of the design work. They're going to kickstart it. They're going to kickstart it. So I no, guess. we don't have any details on when it's going to get kickstarted or what the nature of that kickstart looks like, but we know it's coming. From TSR, I think. From TSR, yeah, the guys that have uh, Gygax Magazine. Right, yeah. What else did you do? Uh, so Saturday, I had two games, <clears throat> back-to-back. First game at 10, 10 to 2. Uh, I played in Frank Sapia, 
if anybody knows Frank, uh, from uh, Cyberpunk. And his name, or the. Tell me, tell me you were a rocker boy. Tell I me. was not rocker boy. God I don't think we had an option. It, well, they're pre gens, man. It's out of my oh, control. Should have demanded a rocker boy or walked off the table. That's what I would have done. The name of it was Franchise Wars Chapter One Secrets in the Sauce. Should I, should I talk about this one? No. Should I mention what it was? It, it, it's cyberpunk. It's cyberpunk. So we were tasked with, it was almost a gauntlet delivery job. So basically it's, and the backstory is that all the fast food joints have merged. And then of course their names have been changed. So this reminds me of hero protagonist's first job is pizza, pizza delivery guy in the book Snow Crash. I, yes, I remember that, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. I'm just saying it, it harkens that to yeah. my mind. So like, um, I don't remember how, I don't remember the, the nuances of the franchises and how they merge together. Anyways, it's a big franchise war. Taco Bell doesn't even have brick and mortar stores. They went to delivery trucks and anyways, they all are at war with each other and we are to deliver the McDonald's probably secret sauce to this end destination that nobody has succeeded in doing. Okay. So, so this is like pre, it's almost like a de- callback to the old demolition man movie. That's old Stallone movie. Right. Okay. All so right. we have like, uh, like six cars escorting us. And if all six cars get blown up, they blow up our main car. So nobody can get the secret sauce and everything. So we, <clears throat> Okay, so I'm going to say right now, that sounds incredibly asinine. Was it any fun? It was. Okay, I'm just saying, when I mean, it was me the premise, I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. It was, fun. was it fun. Yeah, it was okay. It was different. It was fun. It was like, uh, you know, I think he tried to kind of put a little bit of Mad Max on it. Anyways, okay. and he's going to, you know, he's going to run it over, you know, oh, and that's the end of this adventure. Stay tuned next year when we talk, you know, when it goes further. But essentially, it's a crew and we come to checkpoints and, you know, we come across something lying across the road. How do we get around it? We've got to blow stuff up and get, it's just like this convoy. Okay. Get things to the end checkpoint end destination without, without getting what else, killed. What else did you have? And then right after that from two to four, two to four, two to six, uh, Mike Merle's is a D and D game, which is DDA 0406. I can't remember the, t- uh, I can't remember the title of it. The temple of something. Ravenloft you feel or no? I don't remember if it was necessarily Ravenloft. What did it have the Ravenloft feel? Were you surrounded by mists and horrible vampires and other evil undead trying to Maybe. coax you into damnation? Maybe there was ghouls. Like there were okay. two ghouls we had to overcome. Um, and I, so I have met Mike before briefly um, never seen them DM and I, I appreciate it. And we had a good, we had a really awesome group. So now I don't play, like my, my buddy, Jimmy actually took a picture of me playing organized play. Cause he's like, hi, I got a picture of you playing organized play at a con, which I usually never do. Cause that's not, that's not a Sean thing. Sean's not an organized play at a con guy. Not usually. And so, um, but Mike, I mean, we had a good group. We had, geez, one, two, three four, five, six, like seven, eight, seven or eight players. And we all got to do our little thing and nobody jumped on each other. There wasn't a guy who wanted to monopolize everything and be the leader kind of, I mean, there was leaders, but it wasn't well, somebody stupid. jumping on everybody's toes. Good. Um, it was good. It was fun. Uh, Merle's gets 
animated and uses kind of different voices and is really on top of things. And I mean, he's, I think probably played this scenario and run it, I don't know, five times. And so I um, talked to, I cannot remember who, but they had uh, Chris Perkins was that was there and he yes. ran his uh, Ravenloft play testy thing that he's been doing. And that uh, <clears throat> they said that was a damn good adventure and they had a really good time with that one. So very cool. That was weird. Well, what'd you do? Was that a hum? Was like the vibration that came through? I don't know. I don't know what that Never was. Mind. I don't know. Does, so was there any cool, apart from the the games and that type of thing, was, did you find any cool swag? Did you buy anything neat? I, I went, I, you did. I went through the dealer hall. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I, there were things that I could have bought. I might've wanted to buy. I just didn't because I think I bought, you know, cause I bought double tap and feng shui in the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's, I mean, that's probably what, 25, almost 75, 80 bucks. Yeah, easily. And, you know, like I, I need another book, like a hole in the head, right? Right now. Fair enough. So I just, I, I passed. I didn't know what, if, what I wanted to buy anyway. I wasn't going there with something in mind. Like, I'm going to go and see if they have this. And if they do, I'm going to buy it. Because I, I collect the out-of-print stuff. Um, I went through the different out-of-print uh, areas there. I found something I did not know even existed, which was a double vinyl album set of advanced D&D. It was, a, it was music. Set for AD and D, double vinyl set, double album. Did you yeah. buy it? No, I did not. You know, not it was neat, but not eighty some dollars neat. So Put it on your phonograph. Yeah, exactly. I did buy a. I believe it, believe it is the it's Games Workshop is Talisman, the board game. I believe it was the second version that they had put out. It was the version that I learned to play Talisman on. The price was good, so I bought it. it was an original shrink. I've opened it. Everything is in pristine, original condition, which is awesome. It's no longer in that condition because I'm going to play it. I don't buy games board games and just let them sit so but super happy to get that i also grabbed uh forest of gary his uh beyond the silver scream his dcc adventure was out there i snagged it and i got forest to sign it because uh that's how i roll so i i wasn't absolutely correct in my last statement i actually went into the dealer hall to find that and i couldn't they were gone so i went in there before and they were there and i said to myself well i'll just go to forest and get it from him directly Ran into him and he said he didn't have any copies that he gave. I don't know if he gave them, but he's there at the DCC booth, Dungeon Crawl Classic booth, Goodman booth. I believe they actually sold out of the first lot that he brought to them. And then he had an extra stash in the car, brought the extra stash out. And those were going pretty fast. So I went back on, yes, today, Sunday, to grab one and none to be found. So now I have to go to Forest and. See if I can find him and just buy one from him directly. I also picked up the um, a DCC adventure, uh, Doom of the Savage Kings. It's a first level adventure that Harley Stroh did. I think I might have and, that one. Yeah, and I picked up a uh, the Arduin Grimoire Volume Three, one of the old school Dave Hargrave things. A buddy of mine, I said this on Google Plus and our Facebook page. A friend of mine had all of these back in the day, and I have really fond memories of sitting there with John looking these over and just talking about the old days and gaming and stuff. So from a raw nostalgia perspective, it just really grabbed me and, and the price was perfect. So I snagged it. I also picked up some smaller adventure that somebody had for like eight bucks. That was an Osric one. So I grabbed that. Oh, I got a set of official DCC dice and a Goodman games t-shirt. I was like totally dungeon crawl classic in the, wow. the event. Wow. Huh? So pretty happy there. I see. Very nice. I think that's about it. That's about it there. The um, From a con perspective, it's at the, so it's at what used to be the Playboy Club. 
Right. As in Hugh Hefner Playboy Clubs. 1968, in, I believe it was yep. built. Yep. It's, it's a hundred. It's a, said like 130,000 acres? 30, something 000? like that. It's got a golf course on Not it. 130,000. It's a, uh, it's a, the, the, <laughs> the con layout was kind of wonky. You felt like you're going through these weird dungeon level halls that they go up and down in these weird spiral square staircases, but it was pretty cool. The worst thing that happened to me at the con is <sighs> I lost all of my iPhone and iPad chargers and cords. Did you, t- did you take them everywhere you went? Absolutely. Oh, you did. Because if you left them in the room, maybe Doc or Jimmy. No, I, I checked through the room. I'm hoping if maybe if Doc or Jimmy found it, that'd be great. I'll Those ask him. In. It's in a small little uh, Case Logic black and green case. And I had it at one point. I'm like, oh, my phone's dying. I got to find a place to charge it. I got distracted. And I think what happened is I left the goddamn thing there and it grew legs and walked off. It oh. sucks. I checked with uh, security and everything. No one found it. Mm. I have spares here at home, but still, still annoying. Yeah. But lucky for me, one of our listeners. Um, God, who was it? It was Corey's brother, Dave. Dave. Yeah. Dave had, uh, had a battery pack with him. He goes, Oh, you have an iPhone here. Use this clunk. So <laughs> my iPhone charged like that. So that was awesome. Sweet. But other than that, um, for me running into a con with no freaking game plan, no clue what I was going to do. I had a pretty damn good time. And the guys, uh, Chad Parrish and, the uh, the James, I can't remember what his last name is, the guy doing the some mechanical work on Accurate Herald. Caprio. James Caprio and I, the three of us sat down. We ran through a combat, and we ripped apart some of the mechanics um, with some of the dice pool things that they're doing and different raises and lowering of dice types. So we are talking about Accurate Herald. We are talking about Accurate Herald. So we tore up the, the, uh, the attack, or I should say the combat, Mechanics a bit more because Chad and I were all about, <coughs> excuse me, if, it, if it's not intuitive, if there's too much math, I don't like it. And the way it was, there were some adds, divides, subtracts type of thing going in a multiplier or two. And James is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not keen on this. Something, I don't know what it is. So we just went through it step by step by step, took the character sheets and how we'd like that laid out a little bit differently. And it was pretty cool. It was a really, um, it was really nice to have them. They listened to my input. They asked some good questions. James took some really good notes. And uh, Chad had a couple, hey, I'm going to take this thing that you said, Brett. I'm going to try that the next time I run this and see if that actually works in, as, a, as like a play test. So I felt pretty good. I felt good about myself. <laughs> I, felt, I, felt, I felt all misdirected, Mark, there. I was hacking mechanics apart. So, Whoa. Yeah. Flex my muscle. Felt good. I, uh, yeah, it was kind of unique. I, uh, we played and it was one of those, uh, I hope we all had a good time. And then I said, Hey Chad, I just, uh, what well, I got some comments. Oh yeah. By all means. And talked about it a little bit. It's a, it's a, it's, so it's interesting cause I think it's very similar to Savage Worlds. It has a very Savage Worldsy feel, especially in parts. Yes. So it's die types. And I think there's a combination because I thought one role playing game doesn't. I don't know if it's basic role playing or something like you, where you have the category. And then underneath the category are more specific skills, right? I don't think basic yeah. does that. But yeah. I mean, I know, maybe was, not basic, but I, maybe Cyberpunk did it. I don't so know. So my, my opinion was after seeing it and going through it in action, there was nothing there individually that was revolutionary like oh my god that's brilliant like this is a totally new thing when we talked about some of the 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 threats and how 
legend or how your deep cover gets blown or conceivably and impact overall and, and uh, target numbers and stuff. That stuff was really cool mechanically behind the scenes to kind of drive a certain type of play. But watching how the, it's a dice pool system, but the dice pool build and the way dice, for lack of a better term, explode at a certain level, um, I think it's a combination of a couple other things. Like you said, uh, uh, Savage Worlds, and I don't remember the other game system, but I'm definitely rem- it, it, what you just said there makes sense to me too. It's similar, but I think the they're trying to combine the best of a certain of certain other systems and to make this one. Now I'm not a game designer. I don't go to. I can't remember the convention that game designers go to. It's not. Yep. Dr- it's not Dreamation. Well, maybe it is. Anyways, um, but I just wonder why it ends up being the way it is. And in this case, for one example was, if you play an espionage person, you have breakdowns of different skill sets. Tradecraft things. Tradecraft things. So there's uh, human, which is human intelligence. There's comment, which is communication, or actually signet, which is signal intelligence, uh, are just two examples. And then underneath that, are more specific skills. So the the main broad general high header skill is a die type. Underneath that, so say under human intelligence, maybe it's maybe that's a D eight. Then you got a specialization under which could go to a D ten, which is a D ten. And so if you don't have the skill, it's not listed on your sheet. You go to the general. You die go type. to the general die type. It defaults to the header. And then use the die type of the attribute that goes with it. Exactly. Very, very well put, Brett. And I paid attention. Yeah, you did. <laughs> God, bravo, man. Um, and if you roll, so you assemble the die type. So then you go like you, you die. Okay, that die. Then you use your uh, ability, which, whatever ability is associated with that. So if it's kind of a, if it's, an, it's intelligence, intelligence so, yeah. based, you add your intelligence die type. Which could be, say it's a D8 in this case. And then maybe you might have gear. I think it's like an asset. I think they call it assets. So yeah, if it, you could have a really kick-ass computer system, which could give you like a D6 on top of that. Very well. And then you, that's your die pool. And you're kind of, as a player, to come up with this on your own and tell the GM why you, why like, hey, I got a computer. This is, I'm going to use my computer asset. Great. <clears throat> then once you have your die pool, you roll. And I think the DC is told to you ahead of time, like, okay, DC 12. Yeah, the standard is 12 from what they told me. And you roll, and if you beat it, then great. If you roll, I believe, I think it has exploding dice, so if you roll the max on each die, you re-roll it. No? I can't remember. I can't. We did not get into how explosions, we were more concerned about the quote-unquote implosion, like the, the issue, if you will, or the detriment that happens if your ability die is a one. Yes, it is the ability die only that it explodes. So if you have your intel die, that's why you have to make sure you know which one it is. So that was one of the things I told them is I said, if you're going, if you're stuck with this piece, it would be best as game master to tell players your ability die should be all one color. Right. For those of us who are, you know, visually, it's easier to keep track of. Right. All of these are green. Anything else could be any color. That way, when you roll them, you always know the green D8 is your intelligence or your pluck or whatever the hell they call it. I can't remember offhand. But then you could, you know, uh, then you know if that goes up or down. 
So I, 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 okay, it explodes. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, DC's 12. My result is 34 or whatever. Oh, that's great. You know, so there, and I said, is there a, a, uh, what is it? The, the hell I'm looking for? Implosion? No, 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 no. It's the degree of success. Is there a degree oh. of success? Why, you know, is a 30, obviously a 34 is better than a 24, 13 or yeah. 14, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's much better. You succeed greatly. But is there an increment? Like, so Savage Worlds, target number typically four. Every four after that is a raise. For every raise, something may happen. And then for imploding, so say you roll a one on your your trait or ability die. Right, attribute die. Then something happens. Mm-hmm. So in my instance, when we were playing, I was the signal kind of guy, the encryption guy, the computer guy. I can, you know, decrypt stuff and, you know, analyze signal intelligence, et cetera. Anyways, I'm in the van doing that and I roll one on my ability because I'm, I'm attempting to do something. And um, Chad says, hey, there's, it takes place in England. So he's like, you hear a tap on the window of the van. You look in the rear view mirror that you could see a Bobby standing outside the van interrupting you. So, which is fine. We played it. And at the end of the game, I said, help me understand me failing my intelligence attribute check or my die roll imploding on my ability has to do with the Bobby showing up. Yeah. How does a physical limitation uh, come from my mental failure? Well, and it's not even physical, right? I mean, I could have failed a strength check for all I know. And the Bobby would have showed up. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is like, where's the correlation? And he's like, well, that it presents an obstacle. Ah, okay. So it's really not attributed to the actual ability. So Chad liked that when he and James and I were talking about it. James said, well, he said, it's really not, I don't know if we can, if that's going to make it too complicated or whatever. And I described the, the concept of, I said, if you hand it to the players, I said, tell me what happens. Right? I said, that component of it, so it's a quote-unquote newer design philosophy, if you will, but if you put that in their hands, if if Sean, I said in this case, if Sean failed a, a mental challenge, you know, by a one, okay, Sean, you were trying to do X, you can't, and you failed spectacular, what's the inconvenience, what's the um, thing that is now in your way? And <clears throat> I said, if, if they don't know what to do, you can obviously throw some stuff at them, but I said, I would encourage the player to uh, be the ones that co- help come up with that, kind of reaching to the the um, the Star Wars component of it, right? Well, so hey, there there's a disadvantage of some sort. Help me explain what that might be. Well, that's my point, though. Is the point is the disadvantage that uh, appears tied to the actual ability that you bomb? Chad and I were proponents of that. James was not as sold on it by the time I walked away from that conversation, but. We were uh, driving our point home. So I told Chad, it, does, it doesn't have to be, right? No, You could say not. no, but then make up a mechanic that call you call it GM, you know, a flub up or whatever, whatever that flub up. GM fiat. <laughs> jub up, you know, the, the flub up or whatever you want to call it. And then whenever, whenever a player character rolls A1 on an, a, an attribute die, you can the GM can implement something and it doesn't have to be related to the actual check. Yep. Right. And then make that, it'd be like incorporating a hard move in like a powered by an apocalypse world kind of thing. Fair enough. Right. So 
that's what I was trying to get them to think about. And so they, they were, Chad was yeah. mulling that over that you played that that day and all that day and that evening, Chad and I talked about it. And then Saturday morning before I left, he, I, and James were going over it. So it's definitely on their mind. We'll see what they do with it. Yeah, we'll see. So yeah, Accurate Herald coming to a Kickstarter near you. Near eventually. You. Eventually. Don't win. Yeah. We better move on or we're not ready to get done. Holy shit, dude. Random encounter time. Random encounter. Element of the show that we field emails, voicemails, comments from our website. Um, from you. Not you, Brad. I mean, well, some I, our, you, you're the listener. There yeah, you go. Somebody that's tuning in. All right. Yeah. I'll take the first one. Patron of the show, Forrest Aguirre, writes in and says, I'm a big fan of twisting the old tired monster riff. This is back to Monsters versus Non-Monsters, two episodes. Going Monsters! Back sure, there's always little satisfaction in killing off kobolds. Nope. Uh, uh, punting is one of your best options when dealing with kobolds. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I find much more satisfaction in pitting players against foes that don't behave in the tried and true ways. A couple of examples. Let's whose goal is to discover a way to give his dead wife and children eternal life. A doppelganger who really does what he does just to quote unquote fit in and find social acceptance among humans because he has been rejected by his own kind and is being hunted by them. And humanoids who truly know how to pull off an ambush with carefully planned traps and effective methods of screwing with people's thoughts. <clears throat> Messing with liches uh, as a aside here by Brett is one of my favorite things to do. Having liches not be these horrible chaotic evil wizard type things is always fun. Forrest goes on to say, <coughs> excuse me, one of my favorite tricks is putting characters in a situation where the monster is a very difficult moral choice, hence making the characters become their own monsters. Oh no, my girlfriend is undead. She doesn't want to harm me. And in fact, she still loves me and can be my girlfriend forever. Sort of. If I can help her eat orc babies every day, but I'm a half orc. <laughs> hey, dead babies. It all comes back around. That's right. Another often ignored tactic is environment as monster. And this is something uh, as a, Excuse me, another aside, Austin in our uh, Google Plus community and I went round and round on this little bit. And uh, once I figure out what he's trying to come up with there, it, it, I do like it. Uh, Forrest goes on with, I filled out a small dungeon once with nothing but environmental nasties. Don't breathe in that corner of the room or you'll be infected with spores. And don't cut yourself while climbing that wall because the slime on it is bathed in disease. We often forget just how utterly nasty a dungeon is and hand wave all the little hazards in favor of the big ones. Of course, it's more heroic to fight a dragon, but much more horrific to get uh, uh, septicemia. Septicemia. Thank you. Good Lord. So uh, the question is whether you prefer a, a heroic or dark and gritty scenario. See what I did there? Mm. I like both and think they each uh, need this time to shine in a dark and gritty or heroic way, of course. <clears throat> Good grief. Keep coughing here. Sorry. Finally, I love it when characters become the monsters by unleashing things they ought not. There's a reason protected magic sigils are carved into, sto carved into stone doors to keep stupid. Oops, now you did it. I tried to warn you about that door, but you insisted on bypassing the protections and opening the door. Good luck, good luck stopping that zombie horde from overrunning the countryside, you dolt. Anyway, I could go on like this all day. Ultimately, I try to make the monsters in my adventure unexpected and consequential, with the character-to-monster interaction carrying a lot of weight. Players become, in a sense, responsible for the monsters, whether through triggering monster reactions, positive or negative, or through unleashing the monsters on the world. Actions have consequences, and the old see monster, uh, assess as enemy, kill enemy, take treasure sequence uh, should be rife with what I call decision landmines. Those are what make an adventure interesting and transform adventures from mere murder hobos to rich, fleshed-out characters. Forest. What do you think about that, Sean? I thought that was good stuff. 
Yeah. There is much more. Forrest is smarter than Sean and I. So. He is. There's no question. <laughs> no question. No question. No argument there. Um, and it's the the part where he talks about the uh, oh my gosh, we're referencing it. It's right in front of me. The um, where he mentions the yeah, take their stuff, kill them, whatever. Right. Murder hobo. Murder hobo. Unleashing them. Right. Now you did it. Versus the trigger monster reactions, positive or negative. Yeah. Where am I? Yeah. Where it is. Good. See good monster, stuff. assess enemy, kill enemy, take treasure. Yeah. Rinse, repeat. <laughs> it does get dull sometimes. Oh, God. Which is actually to go to the... Forrest is a big Dungeon Crawl Classics guy. Yeah. And the fun part on DCC is that it's tweaked and weird enough, and there is enough of the, hey, these aren't your normal monsters. Hey, this is going to have different reactions and, and so on to it. Um it doesn't. It has some murder hobo ness to it, obviously, based on you know it's a, it's a crawl. But there's some really good consequences to the things that happen in that game. So, next one is yours, sir. Greg Palachek comments on our website. My doppelganger story had an invasion of doppelgangers in a city. To detect them in a plot device, our alchemist designed a hallucinogenic drug to detect them, but no other PCs trusted her. <laughs> Where this is going already. <laughs> so he fed the drugs to a cow. Nice. That old Corova. And cast speak with animals on it. Here we are, leading around the cow, hopped up on Doppelganger LSD, trying to keep it calm from boiling, wet, from bolting when it, when it would detect one. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Hooked up. <laughs> Let me say that whole sentence last. Here we are leading around this cow hopped up on doppelganger LSD, trying to keep it calm from bolting when it would detect one, which is the doppelganger. Hilarity nice. ensues. Sweet. <laughs> this is the this is the shit that player characters come up with. I don't want to do this. I don't trust you. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Can we get a dog? No. This cow. We'll lead a cow through the city. That'll do it. <laughs> I like that. Creative thinking. This comes from the whole doppelganger. I had a dop- doppelganger component of the monsters and non-monsters piece and honestly if anybody i like doppelgangers i think they're a lot of fun but the tried and true method of oh they took over sean's character now sean's character is basically an npc trying to kill a party is boring and pvp in that space is not always all that cool so i like using doppelgangers in new and interesting ways and i like this this is kind of cool we got one more uh chris shorb on google plus he wrote on our episode 77 thread he said, my comment, no conversation of PvP situations? Uh, big miss, I thought. Otherwise, good episode, and I agree with your final conclusion. So in episode 77, we were talking about opposed die rules. And I think Chris is dead on, Sean. We did not say <clears throat> how opposed die rules in PvP situations may or may not change. Um, how do I want to do this? Having When, when something's very player-facing and suddenly it's PvP, how can you have player facing when you have two players, right? Each player is doing their own. It, it gets kind of wonky. So sometimes having an opposed role in PVP situations takes the, I guess, get puts the game master's hands out of it in a way. And then the players are rolling against each other, almost like they're shooting craps or something. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to dig into this too far. I think PVP might actually be an interesting episode in and of itself at some point, Sean, just the whole PVP. PVP player versus player concept and what we think about and how we like to deal with it. Yeah. I'll add it to the list. Shall I? Sweet. Awesome. Cool. 
We got. We're gonna get on this topic. <clears throat> I think we might as well. All right, man. Starting the champagne. I mean, can yeah, yeah, champagne. I, I mean the campaign. Sorry. Sean is still on con I'm con on, liquor time. I'm on carry con time. Yikes. Uh, okay. Rough work's gonna be rough tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to go back either. <laughs> I can't. I left the con early. I sure I just want to play back. games and roll dice, dude. I know. Come on. I'm gonna be in a meeting. Don't make me talk to people. I should show up to meetings with like a character sheet or something. Like my <laughs> and, little books. and some dice. Click, 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 boom, I attack you. What? <laughs> there, you're dead. What? Could it hit? Sorry, too bad. And then when they present whatever we're talking about, I say, uh-huh. Okay. Uh, my guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I hear I hear what you're saying there, but I don't think that's what your character would do. Right. <laughs> just look at you like, Doesn't what? sound like you're playing your character, it right? Seems, yeah, I just don't think you're playing a character there, pal. I think you're way out of character on that. Get get yeah. in the game, dude. You're metagaming ass munch. <clears throat> so <laughs> I'm going to topic of discussion is starting a campaign. This is a short, simple one I thought would be something Sean and I could uh, BS about. Nothing here. is ever simple, Brett. Well, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Uh, I wrapped up my last Avalon game with my group, and we decided that we wanted to play um, a gumshoe game. And I'm going to be running Bad Magic, which is a modern uh, street level John Constantine um, type of magic game. And I'll be using the gumshoe um, the gumshoe system, as I just said. Dur, I'll keep saying that again. But I'm going to use the the core components from a lot of these skills and such from Knights Black Agents, and I'm going to use the alchemy magic from the alchemy gumshoe. Um, little side thing that uh, Ken uh, Ken Height wrote in his Ken Writes About Stuff Zoom. <coughs> Excuse me, and I also use his Goetia uh, Zoom, which has to do with demonic summoning, just because it all fits in there. So, one of the things I, I know how I start campaigns with my group, or how I, I pose them to the team, and how we come up with what it is that we're going to do next, and I, I've had a couple of my players say, dude, you're way too nice to us. You let us choose what it is we want to do. It'd be fine if you just told us this is what you're running. I'm like, yeah, but I want you guys kind of bought in at the beginning because if you, if I come in and say no, I'm going to run this, then you don't want to do it. That's not necessarily good. Sean, what you don't you don't even agree. come <laughs> on, the game. come Sean's on, like, Brett. Your, your what premise the premise is flawed, Brett. Yeah, too, too soft. Get those kick-ass tattoos and Harley and I should just I should be meaner. You talk about dead babies in your games. I mean, what the hell, man. Yeah, well, this is where I softball them. This is where I sucker them into thinking that I'm kind and considerate. Oh, it's a ruse. Yeah, I get it's you. a clever, clever ruse. It's uh, that's a whole different ball. Then I, hey, complete uh, respect. Now you're on board. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally, totally appreciate that. So let's pretend it's not me, Sean. We're talking about somebody else doing this. Do you think that it makes sense, social contract perspective? Yeah. To do this like right out of the gate with a crew and say, hey. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'd like to run this as our next game or this and this. Do you like to give your team options or do you say, hey, I'm going to run Star Wars next. Hope all y'all motherfuckers want to play Star Wars. If not, <laughs> get out of the room. How do you do it, Sean? Dude, is there a game master that actually does that? Uh, write in to gamingnds <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. So my buddy Lenny, if he's going to run a game, he's like, this is what I'm running. If someone goes, I don't want to play that, he goes, okay, then show up when I'm done. I'm not good at that's. I mean, and there's nothing. I don't know if there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's how Lenny approaches it. Like, look, I'm going to run this game. I don't want to play that game. Okay, then don't play. <laughs> nice. So, Sean, when you come up with a new campaign, the old one's wrapped up. Do you present options to your players, or do you say, you know, we could play Star Wars or this or 
this, the, the, and the other thing, or do you just come in with one idea and hope that you can sell it? My favorite game is this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> it's a damn great use by Steve Jackson Games. It's could, uh, yeah. one of the lesser known uh, Munchkin version. titles. Munchkin titles. Yes, yes, Munchkin, this, that, and the other thing. Okay. So, yes, I do think that to answer your question directly, yes. I don't, I would be, I mean, Lenny aside, I don't, um, I've never run into that where it's like, well, maybe I haven't, I just don't remember. So I would always, I would always just say and put it out there. Like I would, you know, maybe it's not even me game mastering. Maybe it's somebody else like, Hey, I'm done. We're wrapping this thing up. Does anybody else want to take the reins for a while? And what do you want to run? You know, cause I'll play. Or if you want me to run another game, I'll be willing to stick, stay on as game master, but maybe it's not, maybe it's the same game. But a different campaign plot line, whatever. So you could do the yeah. I'm, I'm you know we played D and D a lot lately, guys. I'd like to do something different. Right. Um, I'm thinking Star Wars. Or I'm thinking you know Call of Cthulhu. Um, anybody does what does that do for you? Type of conversation. Now I have done that to Brett and just said, look, we're playing Star Wars. Yeah, and it, it's at, really upsetting because I hate Star Wars. And so he wasn't there, so we just we and I say we because. I initiated it, but I got the group behind me. Yeah, I pretty much <laughs> I was like I was group. I'm like, I'm the someone asked me, like, well, Brett, if you don't want to, I said, guys, I'm the only one here who's not a Star Wars fan. Who gives a shit? I'll play. It's not that big a deal. I'll get a copy of the rules, I'll read them, pretend I know them, and I'll I'll go along with yeah, it. I my, said I can I can take one for the team here, no my, matter how much it sucks. My plan didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> oh. Oh, you you're okay with playing Star Wars. Oh, you're Wars. okay with playing oh. mother. All right. Well, still here. Okay. Okay, what game well, would you great. ever play regardless? Right, right. They were playing that one. Like, night. what game would you absolutely not want to even be associated with? We're doing that one. Hey, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The guys voted on it. They want to play that one. So I think I like to provide more than one option when I'm running with my group. And that's and not everybody wants to do that. They may do more like Sean just described. And I think that's fine. I think, if nothing else, from a character, uh, excuse me, social contract perspective for your group, um, giving people the option to opt in or out. Is fine. <clears throat> I have had players say, look, Brett, if you run Inomine again or you run, God, I can't remember what another one was I ran uh, ages back, but they said, yeah, oh, it was uh, Mage, uh, White Wolf's Mage. Um, I had another player say, yeah, if you run that again, that's fine. I'll just bail. Mm-hmm. Austin said that to me at the last game when I wrapped up my Avalon D&D game. He's, we were talking about options. He said, if you play this one or this one that are very Cthulhu-based, I don't get into that. I'll sit that one out. Let me know when you're done. I'll come back. <laughs> excuse me and i think that's totally legit and i think from i give those uh it was austin has done it lenny jr and uh, one other person i can't remember the name of in my group has done this and total i mean i absolutely respect for that because i'd rather have you say that than sit through a game that you know you don't like right like in the star wars case i i don't I'm not a star wars fan but i've never played the game i want to try the game and i'm having a damn good time with it so you know it, it's worth it to me to try it but if i know for a fact i don't like if I didn't like probably the apocalypse games for whatever, I say I hated them. Right. If Sean's like, Hey, we're gonna play dungeon roll. I'm like, dude, I'm out. <clears throat> Cause I, otherwise I'm just going to sit here and be pissed off every time we have to make a hard move or, oh, I don't like this. Or how come I have to have bonds? <laughs> if some of that shit is just going to torque me off for some dumbass reason or a really good reason, because I just don't like it, you know, because it's my, you know, it's my perspective, then say no, sit out and then just you know stay in touch with your group and when they're ready to move on to something you do want to do maybe you should be able to slide back in i would hope yeah and if you, and if the player stays on and is all pissy about it 
then get all over their ass. Yeah, like, dude, I fucking told you. You freaking whiny bitch. If you don't yeah. want to play, just say so and leave. Don't sit there and pout all damn session, blah, blah, blah. That's I stand when I play, but I always make sure I have a chair. When I run, I have I stand. Yeah. I like to game master when I stand, but I always have a folding chair next to me just in case I have to hit some, hit some son of a bitch with it just well, to drive the point home. Right. You've got to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> take, take one measure. Or, <laughs> Whatever it takes. Or another. So... As I said, I like to come in with a couple different options. So before I go on to whatever's next, I have a list of at least two different things that I like to play. I know some people games? don't. Games? games yeah. Systems? Game yeah. systems and settings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Game yeah. system and whatever setting. Right. I like to have two of those. So say, hey, I've got a gumshoe game or hey, I have this other thing. So four. Yeah. Well, in this <laughs> case, I had, what did I have? So you I could had, do a game system. Yeah. So and then you could system. I had, I had a total of three different things I could choose from. It was gumshoe in uh, in a sci-fi scenario. It was gumshoe um, trail of Cthulhu. It was gumshoe to um, do, do, do bad magic. And I also had a oh I I threw out Merp Middle Earth role playing. I said that was a possibility too. So that was three di- uh, two different systems, three uh, excuse me four different settings. There you go. So. <clears throat> some folks don't have the I know you oftentimes you want to have an elevator pitch for our game saying hey this is what it's about this is Jason Bourne versus vampires this is um, um, the movie The Ninth Gate but in London or something like that yeah what are you or, signing up for right yeah so um, I can see that if having more than one or two options might be a bit of extra work on your part to put all that together or the other pieces I was equally invested in all of those options they've been on my mind for a while so I didn't mind talking about any one of the four. The team just happened to pick the one. I, I like to come in with at least two different, uh, either different system and setting or some variation on a theme. So that way the players have a choice. And they're usually two things I would be equally happy to run. Right. That's a good method. That's solid. So Sean, we've picked it. We've got a campaign. We're, we're going to go with something. Do you, is there anything that you think from a, Game master producing to give to players perspective that you need to do. Should you give, um, should you write down an elevator pitch? I mean, I, I've talked in the past how I use Wiki. Um, my buddy Lanny built a Wiki site that I use. Um, do you like to send out background information, system tweaks or modifications? Do you like to do that? No. At a time, or do you like to do it at the game? I don't like to do it anytime. Just shock and awe when it's no, fucking. No, it's just, fucking. I'm telling you, man, there's players that may not read any of that crap and they really don't care. You got to give them a premise of the campaign. Sure, I get that. And some. So, ge- so you got the elevator pitch down, right. the rest of it, you're like, yeah. Uh, well, it depends. Maybe a little bit, but I'm not going to create a wiki and start um, going too bonkers because one, I don't know how long it'll last. Two, I don't know if I'm just wasting a bunch of time. So, in my, me personally, if I do that, I may spend more time on something that isn't appreciated. And I get that. I, I think even when you get players, I was listening to another podcast today. You know, when you talk to players about their background, some will put a lot of effort into it and some will put like absolutely zero. Like they'll show up and let's, you know, here's a skeleton of a person uh, that would, that is my character. And that's okay, depending on your expectations. But I would much rather ask the like three to five canned questions uh so i could flesh out the background without them writing whatever i whatever they think is appropriate but may never ever come into play 
Yeah, because as other people have said in the past, I mean, Phil and Chris have said this, and you and I have said it as well, is that if you have character background, amazing, cool sexiness that never gets used in game, what's it's useless. Point? Yeah, what's the, know, point? what's the point? So I don't think... I, I've actually stopped doing the long, oh my God, write-ups that I used to do, and yeah. I'm down to the corporate bullet point list type of thing. There you go. I, I approach this like I'm talking to an executive, which means it's got to be like 28-point font, bold, and shiny colors. Right. It's got to be bam, bam, bam. No more than you know six things on the slide. Otherwise, nobody understands it or catches it. All right, kid. You got five minutes. Go ahead. Well, sir, I'd like to do this, and here's the four points we'd like to cover. Yeah, that's the type of thing. Right. And it's easy because then if you do that in whatever bullet point format you want, you can you have it, you can reference it. And it's a really good, if nothing else, cheat sheet when you're talking to the players or that you can hand to them that they can say, oh, this game's about investigation in the far future with the Cthulhu mythos behind it. Oh, okay. That tells me a whole lot of stuff right there that can build a character around. Right. You're part of a group that do does special investigations. The only things I, I like to make sure I do because I've modded systems in the past and I have, I do believe in limiting certain types of characters depending on what the adventure is going to be. Yeah. I don't always leave it. I tend not to lately anyway, leave it at a wide open field of anything from the DMG or anything from the player's handbook or anything, anything from any system. Um, if I do have some shit that's just right out, like, look, in my Avalon world, there's no sorcerers. There's no this. Or if in this setting, <clears throat> there's no X, Y, or Z, I try to call out the things that are out. Or if I'm like, look, I'm going to use critical hit charts. Just tell people, hey, I'm going to use Rollmaster's critical hit charts this time around. Oh, okay, cool. If it's something that glaringly obvious, that's a, a change from how I have run in the past. I like to throw that to the team so that they have that in their hand. Gotcha. Do you limit your stuff at all when you make a when you build something? You you run a lot more. Oh, this isn't this is not a slam, but you run more modules than I do. I tend to build my stuff. Sure. And when you're running modules, I don't think it necessarily uh, allows itself to be for those type of mods. At least from a limitation perspective. Well, right. Typically, it's built for whatever system you're running, and you're, the system is assuming you're running whatever base system you are. So whatever base classes come in that base system, I'm going to say base, like three, base, drop the base, <laughs> five more times. Well, there's a, there's a, I mean, right now, there's a huge advantage to that. It's less work for you and for the players. Yeah. Oh, you're playing D&D. That means if you say player's handbook is allowed. Great. I want right. to be a tiefling. Done. Dragonborn done. Uh, have I limited? I think I ha uh, I would, but I don't. I haven't found the need to do it. But yes, if you're going for a particular, a particular feel, big feel, then you could say, "Hey, no Dragonborn, man." Or in Brett's games, you can't play a boxer and call it Cthulhu. <laughs> or, that, or maybe maybe for this particular story, I've said that in the past. Right. Where we were we were running a game was it was designed to be all antiquarians and librarians, right? And had a guy show up with a uh, you know golden gloves boxer, or and I'm like, dude, that isn't going to work. Why not? It's a class. I said, I told you at the beginning, this is not going to work. So well, what if I, that uh, boxer was be well, become becoming an academic? That's what he ended up doing. Yeah. See, it's pretty easy. Yeah, but I made him change it though. His whole thing was. Golden Gloves boxer wannabe professional, blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, um, no. Just tell <laughs> him move some skill points around, dude. You got to do something here. Just tell him he's got his brain bashed in too much. He can't read. That could work. That's pretty, boring. but I think so. <clears throat> this kind of leads into my next point: is the the stuff you do as a group or versus outside the group. Yeah. 
if you're going to make characters for the first time at the game, we've talked about doing this before one of our episodes, hopefully our... <laughs> I can't recall which episode it is, and perhaps our um, archivist can can remind me as to which episode it is. Um, but if you're going to build characters at the game together, it's, in my opinion, okay, hey, I don't have to broadcast what the limitations are. I can just talk them out because we're making characters together. If I'm expecting my players to come to the table with characters ready-made, as I did in that Call of Cthulhu example you brought up, um, that was a failing on my part to tell them, um, a little more strongly that it, you must make sure you feel fit within the space. Otherwise you will not have a good time. You're going to have a real bad time. Okay. Okay. Time. Uh, I've had a buddy of mine when it was back in three O days and had all the mongoose splat books. I think. Holy shit. I want to play this version of a paladin. Oh, uh, maybe depending on what it is. Why? What do you? Why do you want to play that one? Because I could kick so much more ass. Yeah, not a good idea. Good, sounds good. <laughs> so I'll pick up my buddy Chad Knight. Chad was uh, going to play in one of my games for the first time. He said, "Hey, can I do this?" I think it was in a Pathfinder game we were playing, and I said, "Why do you want to do that?" And it was a, a variation of the thief. And it came down to there's a feature of that class he wanted. And I said, no, do a fighter thief combo instead. He went, oh, I said, look what you're trying to do. This fits the setting. This fits everything else better. Oh, okay. Yeah, Brett, that's cool. I'll do that instead. So I think as from a player's perspective, when I'm, when I'm approaching a new game, um, <clears throat> I want to make sure if there aren't if I don't know of any limitations, I mean, we asked this for Star Wars. We asked it for your D&D game. We said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. We all said, okay, are there any limitations? Are there any things we need to know about? You're like, no, you can do whatever's in a PHB. Okay, great. Star Wars, any specific limitations? It's Edge of the Empire only. None of the other books apply. Okay, great. Oh, did I say that? I think you did. You were really a dick about it, too. You were like, wow, <laughs> just like screaming. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. I, I vaguely remember it after my my tantrum, yes. Yeah, this was pretty bad. Okay. Uh, no, no, but that was, um, we all asked those questions. So as players, we brought that saying, hey, what what's out there? Because sometimes the game master may assume that everybody remembers last time you played in Brett's Avalon world that, hey, this is a thing. Oh, yeah, this no sorcerers. Okay, I get it. Um, but we asked. And then you gave us some info. We went and made our characters and showed up with them. I think some of this could be covered by a contract. It absolutely is. These Draft are all- it up. These are all components of a social contract, asking and answering these questions back and forth and having the freedom to do that with each other. Well, I mean, actually writing it up and going here and saying here, uh, initial here. <laughs> like an actual contract. This. Yeah. We'll call Alex Cameron, have him come over, uh, um, write, write the language for us. No, no, yeah. no. You can play that class. See right here? Clause uh, paragraph seven, section two. Uh, if you do attempt to pay, play that class, we will sue you into oblivion. And boot you your ass bitch. out of the group. Have a nice day. <clears throat> All right. Apart from potentially making characters at the game the first session, Sean, is there anything that you like to save for the first session? Do you, when you enter a new campaign, do you go through and say, hey, this is how, it's a new game, guys. Uh, let's go through a fake combat. Are everybody familiar with this rule or anything like, do you have any particular things that you'd like to do at the beginning of a new campaign? Um, no. Or do you just assume that everybody's read the rules? Uh, oh, which yeah. which could be a fair assumption, but social contract <laughs> perspective, like, dude, read the goddamn rules. Maybe something you have to tell people. Well, and I hope that up until the first session, everybody kind of knows what's going on. So, like, you know, Brett doesn't have a rule book. How is he going to create a character? He's going to outsource that. He's going to outsource it to Jim. Hey. The Jim factory. Hey, he knows what he's doing. So he creates five and gives it to Brett and goes here. And then we show up. 
you know, I just as Jim made the most badass fucking Duros mechanic there has ever lived. So I'm very happy with. Well, that right, of course. He, why would he not do that for you? He doesn't want to get beat up. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you left the threat out of that whole kind of statement. Well, it wasn't a threat. So well, it was a kind of well, it was a know. suggestion. It was a suggestion <laughs> of pain. <laughs> You know, if you don't do it, it'd be a shame if something were to happen. <laughs> like, hey, Jim, can you build me a character and uh, I suggest you kind of do it or else I'm going to punch you in the face? Yeah. Let me strongly suggest that this is what you do. Uh, I don't I'm usually something were to happen I don't usually do anything fancy. I don't think. I don't do anything. <laughs> I don't, uh, no, I don't kick anything off that's special. So, the only thing that, I shouldn't say the only thing, apart from making characters at the table, which I've done more now than I have in the past, is when I'm doing a new game system with a group, as I will go over the core mechanic yeah. of it, saying, remember, this is how advantage-disadvantage works. Oh, okay, I get that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, when you're in a situation in Gumshoe and you want to spend points on something. Let's just go through it real quick. Uh, Zave, you've played this before. You're in a library, and um, you're trying to find out who murdered Professor Armitage. Well, Brett, I'm going to do blah, and he explains the situation, and he's like, yeah, okay, spend a point, and you can get more data. And, or, and we go through a Mach 1 like that so that they understand the core activity of that game. Well, the core mechanic more specifically so that they get it and it's fresh in their mind at the beginning. So that way, when I go to the um, actual event, it's not like a big shocker. However, another way is <clears throat> God damn, I'm coughing. Um, should, always have, you, should always have a glass of water next to you. I do have a glass of water. I also have a glass of whiskey and the whiskey's not helping. Do you have, the, have, you have the, more but whiskey. You have, that's what I need. But you have the water in the whiskey. I had an ice cube in it. <laughs> Did that help? Okay. What you did with Star Wars, um, you started off without, we didn't get into combat. It was all social, skilly type checks, you know, try to fly this. It was all non-combat stuff. Right. And the pressure's not on no. in that case. So if we fumbled or clunked around with the mechanic a little bit, that was okay. We were getting her, getting her sea legs on her, get the funky dice going. Oh, we get the, oh, that's how I make a reading. Oh, I get it. I get it. And I think that. So kind of that first session, if nothing else, if people aren't familiar with them, go easy on the rules out of the gate. If you can, kind of have that warm-up session. And if there is going to be a fight, <clears throat> an easy fight, perhaps an easy win for the player characters, and tell them, you know, don't have to get uber complicated with how that's going to go. But I think that's um, kind of taking it easy, that first session in is a really good idea, especially with a new, I'm talking new system here. If it's one everyone's familiar with, I love in Meteorays at this point, right? Just fucking go. I mean, if I know... Next time, if you run another Edge of the Empire and we're ready to go, I would be totally fine if we, you know, all right, guys, you ready? Okay, good. You're in the middle of a starship battle. Holy shit. Roll the dice. Let's go. Shooting shit, blowing stuff up, trying to evade asteroids. We've got the system down. I'm ready to roll. Hey. I think that's fun. That sounds exciting. It does. Maybe too much. <laughs> Maybe too exciting for you. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be shooting shit up every, every week. Stay tuned. So a question for you when we're talking rules here. Do you, as a rule, do you do the, I expect you, do you, <laughs> perhaps not out loud, but in your social contract mind, do you think the players should just go out and buy the goddamn rules or they're, they're responsible for it on their own or do you lend them copies or anything like that? How much do you help your players, Sean? That's what I want to know. <sighs> players. Pretty much. There's I had to go so, buy my own rules because Sean's a bastard. Wouldn't so help me at needy. All. Um, I think that it would be nice that if they have an interest in getting the rule book, and that's, I consciously understand or have a concern 
of, you know, hey, we're going to play or try this game. And they buy the book and they are all in. And then four weeks later, oh, let's try another game. Oh, I got to buy another book. So part of the decision-making and changing from one game to the other and one campaign to the next comes into who owns what and if they are going to need a rule book. Because, you know, you could do a pre-gen or just loan somebody out the book, sure. And then the other, they, the other thing I've done in the past is with new game system is I go through drive through and say it's out there on drive through. Like if I was going to play Astonishing Swordsman yeah. uh, and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, I'm looking at a $50 box set for hardcover or like 25, 30 bucks for the, uh, the player's guide or whatever. Or I can get the whole damn thing for 10 bucks on drive through. Durr. Right. You know, why would you not go to drive through and get a PDF? Yes. Just to give you, just to give you an edge. So, I do a little bit of that for my group when I'm doing something brand new. Yep. Um, just so, hey, make sure you have this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have been known to, with some of the dead games I have, that I have um, old scanned copies of rules or photograph, or excuse me, photocopied stuff from way back in the day or something. Um, or if I have extra copies of the rules, I'll bring extras at the table, leave them with a the group, you know, because I travel up or whatever. But I don't often assume that everybody at the table is going to go out and buy the game. Right. No, I, I wouldn't either, but I, I have an idea of who will. So, yeah. Makes sense. Well, Sean, that, I think that kind of hit all the points I was looking to talk about here. I think social contract, this is goofy, but starting the campaign is probably one of those points when if your group has had a social contract concept, even if you don't call it that, you just have table rules, group rules, whatever it is, your club, whatever you're at, it's a good time to refresh that memory. Everyone, everyone at the table, especially if you get a new player for the new campaign. Um, but it's a, it's the perfect time to all the stuff we just talked about. There's simple questions, there's simple things to do, but it helps to enforce the social contract. Com- <clears throat> see me components of everything, so that like, hey, I gave you the elevator pitch. I told you what the minor tweaks were. I told you what classes were were not allowed. I asked for your input. I gave you my input. You were able to say, I don't like this. Uh, I told everybody that two sessions in, if you don't like your character, you can remake it. Remember, we always do that in Brett's group. Oh, that's right. If I don't like him, I can always swap it off or something after two sessions. Um, it's always helpful at this point with your group to refresh all of those memories. I thought you were going to say, hey, we went over this. We did that. I told you to do this. You didn't do it. What the fuck is wrong now, with you, now I'm gonna... you dumb son of a bitch? <laughs> That's the way it was going. I'm like, oh for my. God's sake, Tabby gets it. She's brand new here. What the hell's wrong with you? You've been with me for 20 years. Exactly. But the other, the other piece is that, like, if you, when you're reviewing or renewing, if you will, your social contract at this point, and I I'd, keep, I'd like to renew my social contract. Like please. So, I'm sorry, it goes month to month at this I'd point. I'd like to renegotiate my social contract, please. I have reunion representation. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, sir. We'll have to have a talk about it. Um, one of the other pieces that I have told people in the past is that this game will be like my old, this will be like my old vampire games. Like, remember when we played Amber, if you're going to have a strong PvP component mm-hmm. or something along those lines, now is a good time to, to tell people about that. Even if you don't know if the game could go in that direction, but you're building it in such a way that, you know what? I could see these, uh, these men and women kind of going tooth and nail. I could see her character and his character just freaking going just like trying to kill each other based on what they've got. And you can tell them, look, that's okay because this storyline I've got in front of us, it doesn't, I don't mind if there's some player versus player activity going on. And that is one of those things that could be a hot button for certain uh, players that may or may not want to do it. Right. 
So yes. I guess short version for perhaps a hopefully not a horribly boring topic for folks, but is the uh, the concept of when you're starting that new campaign is now the perfect time to go over some of those things. Even if the group's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, just like last time, just like last time. That's good. Even if it's a five-minute conversation, everyone's head's nodding in the right direction. Look at her, look at him, look at her, look at him and him. They get it. Great. Off you're going. But if one of those men or women has a question, she can raise her hand and ask you, hey, last time we played this Call of Cthulhu game, <clears throat> I went insane within like the first two episodes. It was really boring for me. We have a way to stop that this time. Is there anything we can do? You know? Right. Everyone wants to do this, but I'm just telling you, last time I had no fucking fun doing this thing. I want to be able to look at that player and help her figure out what would be fun. Or I'm sorry, this isn't going to be for you. And maybe you should set out this game, this game or whatever the case is. I, that's good stuff, man. Cool. Cool. I got nothing. I got nothing else on this one, man. I don't want to beat the dead horse any worse than we usually do, but uh, kind of got that post con. We're both staring off in the space at each other across the camera here. So might yeah. as well move on to the old die roll. Eh? Let's get to it. Die roll segment of the show where we have two to four miscellaneous points of geekery and gaming that we want to share with you. Brad has a few. I've got a couple. Brett, I defer. Yeah, I've got three of them. Uh, the first one is an adventure called 1,000 Dead Babies. Oh, my God. Roger Brasley called this to my attention. I follow Dyson Logos, uh, a great cartographer on Google+. Plus. If you're not following Dyson, the hell, get out there, follow him. And Dyson on a Google Plus post during Gary Khan posted this up there. Roger goes, Brett needs to see this. I'm like, oh, what is this thing? Oh my God, RPGnow.com. Got a link in the show notes to a thousand dead babies. <laughs> like, well, looks like my dead baby shtick may be back. Are you gonna gonna reach out to him with a cease and desist on that, Brett? Or <sighs> I don't know. I'm I'm tempted about it. I I'm in talks with Alex. We'll see what we got. I do. see. <clears throat> um it's not Dyson's product, by the way. It is someone else's. Dyson happened to call it out. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> the other one was, I think, uh, oh, Chris Shorb was the one who called this out in our Google Plus community. It's called Funnel World. It's where Dungeon Crawl Classics and Dungeon World collide. Uh, Drive through RPG. We got a link in the show notes <clears throat> to that. I thought that was just, it's kind of a funny, of all the weird, of all the games that kind of smashed together, that, those were not two that would have thought. So I'm tempted to pick that one up just to see it. And see what it looks just out of morbid curiosity for no other reason. And then one, this is not a game system, but a game idea. Uh, the mummified body of a German adventurer was found on his yacht. Um, he had been floating around uh, for over a year. Looks like he, um, according to the the article in the Huffington Post, he he died, maybe heart attack or something. But the salt air and everything else just kind of mummified him right there at his desk, right in front of the radio. Uh, link in the show notes. I had it up on our Google Plus community. I did throw it out on Facebook as well, but uh, it's a pretty, it's one of those things you read that. And my first thought is again, the Call of Cthulhu story and those horror games. It's just, or hell, you could, uh, you could easily push this into any game world. A boat shows up, the captain crew, mummified and dead, mysterious reasons, you know, monsters and craziness ensue. Well, it's, it's obviously going to become animated. <clears throat> oh, it could obviously be animated. Or as Forrest talked about in the, it is stuff above. I mean, you talk environmental stuff. Maybe the, the boat is toxic. Maybe the, and if they're animated, maybe the boat is causing them to be animated because of some weird alchemical something they sailed through. I mean, there's a ton of cool shit you can do with this. Yeah. So, I love it. Sean, you got a couple. Your turn, man. For all my bakers out there. I'm not talking pot. Stay off the pot. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. 
No, I don't care. Anyways. <laughs> no, I don't care. Right? Waste your life. Go ahead. <laughs> critical. <laughs> critical. You can be a podcaster like us. Oh, yeah. There you go. Critical hit cookie cookie cutters. Cookie cutters. Yeah. So Brett, he's a kind of he's a he likes to bake every once in a while. Oh, my wife, my wife is really good at baking. This I might have to see if I can get her to make me some cookies. Right. So they uh you can cut cookie cut them out of dice. Well, they look like dice. Nice. Yeah. You know, something to get your uh significant other, have you have them bake you cookies. Or if you're a gamer and you can bake, let's do it. Right. Send us some cookies. Uh, I mean, if you want to try them out, well, we'll give you we'll give you feedback. No, you don't have to buy. You don't have to do the cookies. But Brett, it does help. But if <laughs> but if you wanted to, Brett, what cookie would you eat? I like sugar cookies and chocolate chip cookies. If you make peanut butter cookies, I will throw them out. I cannot eat peanut butter. Get cookies. the hell out of Dodge, man! These things are fucking gross as hell. Get out of here! Peanut butter cookies. That's well, that's like what you is know, wrong with you? Satan's vomit in a cookie form. I wow. wow. I do not like them. Sam, I am. All right. Yes. Secondly, Fight Club iOS app for Pathfinder and or D&D 5E. This was interesting. Somebody brought it to my attention. Ah, drives me nuts on who might have sent it to me, so I won't mention their name because I'll probably have it wrong. I apologize. If it's you, write me and say, hey, Sean, it was me that brought it up. But it's a it's a it's an iOS app. You can get it on iPad or iPhone. I think it does some tracking. Um, it's like a kind of a character sheet, digital character sheet that provides you nearly everything you'll need to play a fifth edition game. Yeah, and I think you can just like do a, you know press a button, it automatically figures everything out, which is nice, especially if you're doing Pathfinder, which can have a few things that are tied to one another. I'd actually heard the phrase Mathfinder. At the oh, Gary Con, I'd never heard that one before. I don't know how that one never got to me. I heard that one, dude. That's a little harsh. Mathfinder. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's all we have. Huh? You're muted, dude. Are no, no, muted? no. I was just I, I mumbled there. Sorry, but yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, the show oh. brought to you by our patrons. We got Joe Swick, Kev Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian Six, E Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrester Gary, Misdirected Mark, Brett's biggest fan. Mark Anthony Benedetti, Tony Baker, and Palladion. Consider being a patron if you'd like. Go to a gamingbs.com forward slash patron. Yeah, thanks, Corey, too. He's not a patron, but he he helps donate. And then if, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you probably add that too. Uh big thanks to the Scott Meister for the gracious review on iTunes. Hey, iTunes reviews are great. So we appreciate that. Otherwise, I believe that is it for this episode. Tune in next week when we talk about latency in your game. Oh my God, are we really talking about latency? I think we will. Holy we'll give God. it. We'll give it a go anyway. Didn't somebody else just cover this not too long ago? Oh, they may have, but we gotta we gotta do it our way, man. Oh boy. Well, this is one of those one that came from a uh, that came from a listener. Oh really? Faithful, faith, faithful Mike threw this one at us, so we're gonna give it a go. Faith, faithful Mike did. Yes, he did. Thanks. Hey, thanks for writing in, everybody that wrote in. Absolutely. That's Forrest and Greg. Forrest, Greg, Chris. Chris Shorb, everybody commenting. We got a commenting pretty decent active Plus. community out there yep. in uh, Google Plus land and other places. So hop out there, take a look. There's though, almost 180 of you folks out there listening, talking, uh, passing good data back and forth. So love hearing from you. Love your opinion on the show. And uh, let us know what we, could, uh, what we could talk about if you want to hear something. So I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.